Our personal core values affect everything we do and the decisions we make. The same goes for the local church. Get your Bible and notes ready as Pastor Ron shares in our series, Identity. Welcome along, whether you're here in person or you're online. Last week, we began a new series called Identity. And we talked about the fact last week that we are living in an age, I believe, for the Christian particularly, where we have an identity crisis on our hands. We we really don't understand fully who we are as Christians. Otherwise, I am absolutely confident we would live differently to the way that most of the time we live, including myself. The scriptures tell us that in Christ, we have victory over sin and death. That's important for us to understand. We have victory over sin and death. We are no longer caught up in those things because we have beaten it all. It's been beaten through Jesus Christ. We have victory. In two, that's 1 Corinthians. It says, thank God, Paul says, because he is the one who gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we need to understand that as Christians, as Christ followers. But too often, I think we... We live our lives in ways that don't show victory at all. We live like we're defeated and we really feel like giving up rather than getting up and doing what we've been called to do. Most of the time the church is, is behind rather than in front. And the reality is the church ought to be one of the safest, best places that you could ever be in. It should be the most comfortable, comfortable place as well. And yet in church is often where we find the most disunity. We find division. We find as much of those things in the church as we find outside of the church. That's sad, disappointing, and it shouldn't be the case. We really ought to be people, the church, People that are different. Last week we read from Matthew 5 where Jesus said, you are the light of the world. We cannot be light if we are not going to stand out. Light and darkness cannot coexist. They cannot be in the same room as one another. If you have a room that's dark and you put a light on, the darkness disappears. It's, as that, it's simple. And yet for us as Christians, it's not so simple. We fail, I think, so many ways to recognize who we are in Christ and that Jesus has actually given us all authority to able to go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and to know that we are protected by the Holy Spirit in the, pre- in, in the presence of, of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit goes with us wherever we go. There ought to be nothing that we would be worried about providing we are keeping our eyes fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's, that's in essence what I wanted this series to remind us of, that we, we belong to Jesus. You and I are brothers and sisters. We have that one heavenly Father. We are one in Christ. We, we are all on the same level of playing field. And just because some might have different positions of authority here on earth, that means we have it's zero when it comes before our heavenly Father. We've all got things to do, but it's God has given it to us. So it doesn't matter, really, in one sense, how much we do, so long as what we're doing is what we're doing for Christ. We'll, we'll deal with this in, as we go through this morning. But Satan has blinded us. 2 Corinthians 4.4 is the passage, if you um, should be almost memory, me, uh, committed to memory now. 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe. And we need to recognize that because he's blinded us. And because he has blinded us, we, we tend to embrace fear and we are then inhibited from being the person that Christ intended us to be in the first place. When fear and worry come in, when difficulties arise, we stumble. When, you're, when we're persecuted for our faith, we cower back in fear and we, we shut up, we stay, say nothing. But if Christ is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8 tells us, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day and we are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is everybody else's but mine. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. But what our identity crisis does to us is to consume our time in worry and defeat. We become ineffective in the things that we're supposed to do and meant to do. And I guess today I want to look at the first of our values. We talked about, we gave you an overview last week. Most of you would be familiar with the acronym, our SWORD acronym, Service, Worship, Outreach, Relationship and Discipleship. Today we're going to be looking at service. And um, the values that we hold close to in our church here in Yapoon and in Mackay, and we believe we, those things ought to be the norm. We believe that they, they should just flow out of the way that we live. We shouldn't even really consciously need to think about them because they should just be the way they are. Most of you arrived here by a car today, and I'm pretty sure that most of you just jumped in the car and it came naturally. You didn't have to think about when, if you're in a manual car, when to change gears. 
You didn't really have to think about when to indicate. It just happens because that's what you've got used to. And that's how it should be for us as Christians when we start to live by the values that God has put in place. They ought to be the norm for us. We, we may not always get it right. We will blow it from time to time. In a car, there are accidents that happen. They're called accidents for a reason. They're accidents. And we do the same thing even in our Christian life. We don't always get it right. But, and today isn't meant to be a guilt trip because I don't want it to be a guilt trip for anyone because I know that all of us are coming from a different place, emotionally, spiritually, physically. It's just different for you as it is to me and vice versa. It's not a guilt trip, but rather I want today to be, for you and, and myself even, to take up the opportunity to recognise that in the name of Jesus Christ, we have authority over the things that hinder us, and prevent us from being an effective disciple of Jesus Christ. And if we are able to implement these values as we go through them over the next few weeks, I am absolutely confident that God will begin to bless you. He will faithfully honour you and you will become, all these things will become very normal and natural as we live in our day-to-day -day life. If you find today that God is speaking through his word in any way, if you are touched in any way, the best thing that you can honestly do today is to obey. That's all I'm asking you to do. I, I don't know. I remember when I first, well, when I was, had my, a call to ministry, I've told you this before, but when I felt the Lord's calling to ministry. Um, I, I didn't doubt it at all, but someone else in the congregation came to me and said, uh, God spoke to you this morning. And I said, yes, what did he say? Because I was testing him. And he said, I don't know what he said, but whatever he said, you've got to do it. And that's what I'm saying to you today. I don't know what he may say to you because things that I say may not be what you hear. And if that's the case, maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. So I'm asking you, if, if of all the things that you do here today, obey Christ and do what he ever, whatever it is to, he tells you to do. Trust him and be obedient in the calling that he is calling you to do. Follow it through to the end. Don't quit halfway through. And remember that despite all the opposition that you will get, there is no question there will be a lot of opposition, not just from people. You'll have this battle of two things, thoughts going on in your own head. Should I, shouldn't I? Yes, I should. No, I shouldn't. It will be constantly there unless we trust the Lord to direct our path. And all of those doubts that you might have, overwhelming victory is yours for the, for the asking. God has given us overwhelming victory through Jesus Christ because we need to recognize that that is exactly who you are we need to know who we are listen listen to this I'm going to read to you 
don't know, there's nearly 30 scriptures here, but I want, you, I want you to listen to this and I want you to absorb this because you are loved. 1 John 1, uh, 3, 3, you are accepted. Ephesians 1, 6, you are a child of God. John 1, 12, you are Jesus' friend. John 15, 14, you are a joint heir with Jesus, sharing his, his inheritance with him. You are united with God and one with spirit with him. You are a temple of God. His spirit and his life lives in you, 1 Corinthians 6. You are a member of Christ's body, 1 Corinthians 12. You are a saint. Ephesians 1.1, you are redeemed and you are forgiven. Colossians 1.14, you are complete in Jesus Christ. You are free from condemnation. You are a new creation because you are in Christ. You are chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. You are established. You are anointed. You are sealed by God. You do not need or do not have a spirit of fear but of love, of power, and one of sound mind. You are God's co-worker. You are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. You have direct access to God. You are chosen to bear fruit. You are one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual home. You have been given exceedingly great and precious promises by God, by which you share his nature. You can always know the presence of God because he never leaves you. You, God works in you to help you to do the things that he wants you to do. Philippians 2.13, and you can ask God for wisdom and he will give it to you with Jesus Christ. He will give it to you, whatever you need. You are a child of God. You are amazingly, fantastically given the opportunity to just relish in the presence of your heavenly father, our heavenly father. We need not fear for anything because we have everything given to us. Everything that we need has been given to us because you and I are children of God. Praise God for that. So let's live like that. You're a child of the king. And when you're tortured and when you're persecuted, you be strong as a child of the king. We don't cower in fear. We claim our identity with Jesus Christ. And Jesus says in John 12 that anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honour anyone who serves me. And today I want to share with you about the fact that as Christ followers, we have all of those things we've just talked about, but as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus we serve because we follow him. We serve because we follow him. And we will get through this this morning with, and I hope at the end of this, we recognize it's not just for our benefit. Because the church here in Yapoon and in Mackay have a wonderful, amazing group of leaders, people who, who give sacrificially week after week. 
You meet some of them on a Sunday morning as you come in the door. You meet some of them other times. But there's some that you don't even see. Those people that just turn up in the middle of the week and start doing things around the grounds. Mowing, brush cutting, cleaning windows, cleaning toilets. They just get done. Who replaces the toilet paper? It just doesn't magically appear because someone does that. And don't go cranky if they've forgotten. But you are, you, we have an amazing group of, of volunteers, all volunteers, who do so much, who are faithfully serving so that others may experience church, even though everything over the past 12 months seems to have changed. You are a wonderful group of people both here and in Mackay and wherever else, if you are watching from another service and another denomination, I pray that today that we'll recognise that there are people in our churches who are willingly doing this because they follow Jesus Christ. The way we've had to organise things has dramatically changed in recent months. And there has been a need, a significant need, to learn new processes uh, to learn new computer programs, to, to just, and we've, we've embraced them, and, and I thank you for that. It's not been easy. I know many have struggled with all of that, but we have begun to implement them into the various ministries. And while ministries have changed and some have even had to, to cease for a while, we have a wonderful group of volunteers who give of their time, who give of their resources and their knowledge so that each of us might be able to continue to grow in the Lord, to be the church. So thank you to those who serve. There are many of you in this room. There are many of you, I'm sure, who are watching online as well. Thank you. It's about understanding today what it means to serve and the understanding of what it means to be the church that Jesus declared he was building. Matthew 16 says, to, Jesus says, I will build my church. I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, not prevail against it. The church is built on the testimony that, Je that Peter proclaimed, that you, Jesus, are the Son of God, the church is built on the very fact, the foundation stone is Jesus Christ. On this rock, the testimony that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I, Jesus says, will build my church. Jesus was declaring that the church that he was establishing would have him as the cornerstone. Jesus Christ was going to be the, the foundation of what we stand for. He was the entranceway, the passageway that we have to go through in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's only through Jesus Christ that we have that. Any church that does not acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord, the Son of God, has, as being deceived in that whole thing. If you think, if we think, if anyone thinks 
that we can get to heaven other than through Jesus Christ, we are being deceived. Scriptures tell us, 1 John says, who's a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone that says that Jesus is not the Christ is a liar. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And this was all established well before Jesus even entered into the world. This was set in concrete before the foundations of the world were put in place. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 118.22. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Psalms. That's a long time. It wasn't the beginning of creation, but it's a long time before Jesus entered into the world. God had already established it. And so as we follow Jesus Christ, we read before that we are to serve. Jesus himself said that he himself came into this world not to be served, but to serve. And if we are going to imitate Christ, if we are going to follow Christ, we too need to be serving. Matthew 20 is where Jesus says it. Even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You and I, if we are following Jesus, that is where we will be led. The path is so clear. It's not really even practical to think that it's possible to follow Jesus and not be serving because that's exactly what he was doing. So we need to recognize that if we are to follow Jesus, we ought to be serving or we are serving. And serving is one of the gifts of the Spirit that's mentioned in, in Romans 12. Paul says in Romans 12 that if your gift is serving, then serve. And you and I could be really easily forgiven for thinking that if our gift is not serving, then I don't have to. It's our, it's our way out of here. I'm not gifted in serving. But as is the case with all of the spiritual gifts, not just some, all of them, there will be times, sometimes a lot, where we will be needing to do the things that we're not necessarily specifically gifted in just because the opportunity is there. And just because we're not gifted in something doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. It just means that those that have that gift will probably do it more naturally. It will come more passionately perhaps but it doesn't mean just because you're you or I are not particularly gifted in a particular area that it doesn't it's not something we're called to do some of you are very good at hospitality others of you cringe at the thought but I know that even those that cringe will probably have some people around at some point or they'll meet someone somewhere and you will be hospitable because that's what we do being obedient to Christ is about being a servant to him, not to anything else. And the very definition of a servant is one who serves. 
And one of the traps, I think, as Christians that we can fall into is thinking that our salvation is tied up with this serving kind of mentality. There are many who I've spoken to, and you've probably spoken to them too, and I I doubt whether anyone's here or listening online that would be like this, Uh, but there are many who think that that we're good people. We, We don't do anything really morally wrong. That, you know, if we're good and we don't do anything wrong, we help little old ladies across the street, we, we fix up things for people, we go and sort out struggles that people might have, that God could not possibly send us to hell because we are doing good things. And even as Christians, we can get into this mentality, I serve in the church, I do all these things, and I'm a, I'm a good Christian because I do all this stuff. No, that's the wrong kind of thinking. You're not a good Christian because you do those things. You do those things because you're a good Christian. And there is a complete difference in that. There are some people in churches who are so busy serving and so entrenched in the way of life in the church that the, the relationship aspect is not, has just been put on hold or it's never even existed in the first place. And you know people like that. I know people like that. And we need to recognise that there, the trap is that we can think or fall into the thinking that if I serve well, then God will bless me more. It's not necessarily the truth. There are a lot of really good people doing wonderful things in our community. There are so many people who are doing better things than even many people in the church are doing outside in our community who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. But unless they have committed their life to Jesus Christ, they're heading toward a Christless eternity. They're on the path to hell because the scriptures tell us that there is only one way to the kingdom of heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. It's serving or following him. And because we follow him, we'll serve, not the other way around. There are many spending an eternity in hell rather than where they should be in heaven. And that's the trap of service. That's the dilemma that we face. And so that brings me to the first point this morning. It says we serve as a result of a heart change. No one will get to heaven by doing good works. No one gets to heaven by doing good works. But James reminds us that while good works doesn't lead us to heaven, if our life is not committed, if our life is committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, if we have faith in Jesus, we will do good works. So while good works don't lead us to heaven, because we are following Jesus, we will do good things, good works. James 2 is what he, where he says it. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? In other words, what James is saying is that if you claim to follow Jesus and you're not actually doing what Jesus does, are you really following Jesus? Our acts of service come as a result of who we are in Christ and our response to expressing our love to God. When we love God the way that we ought to, it will be reflected 
in our servant attitude. And when we're able and willing to use the gifts that God has given to each one of us, we will recognize that his kingdom will be honored, that he will get the glory, that the church itself will be edified, that people will be blessed. And the kingdom will grow as a result of that. That's why we serve. We serve because Jesus served. We serve because we follow him. And our desire is that we want to see the kingdom of God grow, not the kingdom of hell. We want people in the kingdom. We do things not because of our own reward, but because of God, because of his glory. The purpose of works is so that we can attain a deeper level of understanding, a deeper level and a more consistent relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the more that we follow him, the more that we serve, the deeper our relationship will get, the more we will understand him, the more we will hear and recognize his voice, the more we will know and be directed by his Holy Spirit on what we should and what we shouldn't do. That's why we serve. We serve with a desire to grow and mature in Christ, not drawing attention to ourselves, but honouring God in the way that we serve. If you want to mature your faith, and who doesn't want to do that? If you want your faith to grow, be involved in serving. Follow Jesus Christ. Use your gifts. Use your abilities. With grace and humility, serving, with, serving Christ with a Christ-centered heart. Service doesn't ensure a place in heaven, but it does demonstrate a heart change that has taken place, or it can demonstrate a heart change that has taken place because of our faith that we've placed in Jesus Christ. Faith cannot exist without service, without works. You cannot be a loyal follower of Jesus Christ and not serve because you will not be following Christ. Faith in God and serving cannot be separated in other words, when we gave our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we received him as our Lord and Saviour, we were committing at that point to serving him in whatever capacity he told us he wanted us to serve him. At that time, we made the decision, the conscious decision, to allow him to be our master. We gave up our right to decide what we would do the moment we said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. And when our faith in God is real, the result of our actions will be to do whatever he calls us to do, even when it doesn't make any sense. Our excuses that I'm not good enough or smart enough or haven't got the time or haven't got the personality or haven't got the money, or, or I'm too young, or I'm too old, or whatever excuse you want to put into your vocabulary at that point in time, won't cut it. 
if we are serious about growing in our depth of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's not possible to follow Christ who came to serve and we not serve because we're to imitate him, we're to follow him. So as a church, we really do see serving a natural response or a natural part of our Christian walk where we can grow in Christ, where we can invest time with other people so that we can see our community transformed right before our eyes in knowing the knowledge of the love of joy and the love of Jesus Christ. Two, we serve as an act of love. I think most of us find it easy to love people who love us back. Most of us find that fairly easy. Or those that we get along with pretty well. It's easy to love those kinds of people that do things for you, help you out, nice to you. And the more that we love somebody, the more likely we are to do things for them. Isn't it, isn't it weird that today that I'm sharing this is Valentine's Day? It just struck me. The more we love someone, the more likely we are to do things for them, even when it feels inconvenient. How many times with your spouse have you done something and think, oh, I really don't want to, but this she's, or he's going to really enjoy this? Most of us have been in that situation. We'll go out of our way to do things for those that we love, but, the, but for most of the time. But the question we need to ask ourselves is how much will we, do we love the Lord? How far out of our way are we willing to go because of our love for God? How much am I willing to do to show him how much I love him? Am I really willing to serve God wherever he wants or only where I want. Our love for him will be demonstrated by the things that we are willing to do. The trap we might fall into here is that we may do things for the church and think, you know what, I'm a good Christian, I'm going to do them for the church, when we really ought to be doing them for God. I don't, we, I, what, doing it for the church may not be necessarily wrong, but if that's our focus, if that's our reason for doing it, it is wrong. We should be wanting to do it for God first, the church, the body of Christ, so that the church is edified, the body of Christ is lifted up. If, if, if the church is our focus, we're going to be misled along the way because you are at risk of getting hurt because the church is people, people make mistakes and you will become disillusioned because someone will say something, do something, respond in a certain way and you will be offended because you have done it for the church rather than doing it for God and they have not appreciated it. It's, it's the whole focus needs to be shifted away from doing it because I do it for the church to be recognised, to doing it for God because he sees everything I do anyway. We should always be serving out of our love for our Heavenly Father as if he were our boss, as Paul says in Colossians, work willingly at whatever you do 
as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. So pretend for a moment the boss in your job is, is actually there placed. You don't need to pretend too much here, by the way. But God has actually placed him there for you or her there for you. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as a reward when you serve him. And the master you are serving is Christ. When we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, we need to learn to love him. And we will find doing things for him, doing things that he asks us to do, will, will not be a chore anymore, but they'll actually be a delight. I'll be passionate about doing that. I can't wait to get in and do something. Put me on the roster every week. Rather than blocking out dates everywhere and saying, oh, I'm not doing here, I can't do here, I'm just too tired at the moment, I'm too whatever. There are reasons for us not doing stuff, but the passion will be there to do it. And not only that, when Jesus Christ comes into our lives, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, one of his purposes is to guide us and to help us to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. So it's not something that we have to do as much as it's something that we want to do. Paul says it. He says, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It's his choice to give you so that you have the desire. I want to do this. Not that I've got to do it. I've got the energy, I've got the power, I've got the wisdom, I've got the understanding to do what he's calling me to do because he has given it to me. He gives you the desire and he gives you the ability and we have no excuse because by choosing to serve, we are demonstrating our love for our Lord Jesus Christ, our heavenly father. Number three, we serve God alone. I touched on this before when when I said the greatest traps we can fall into is to do things as a means of getting a pat on the back from somebody else. When we're doing things for the church rather than for God. We will get disappointed if that's our purpose because, as I said, people will let us down. We'll get disappointed if our work is not recognised the way that we think we should be recognised. We'll find ourselves becoming bitter and disillusioned and uh, with others because they're not doing as much as we're doing or they're not doing what we think they should be doing. We'll be frustrated with others because they're sitting down talking when I'm upstairs, uh, up, standing up working. And yet Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 6, watch out, he says, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward your Father in heaven has for you. The reason we do these things, whether it's washing dishes up in the kitchen that somebody else left, even though there's a sign on the wall, didn't you read the sign? And here I am, stuck in the kitchen, washing up the dishes. I'm cleaning down chairs at the end of service and I'm not even rusted on. Where are all those other people that should be doing this? Mopping out the bathrooms when everyone else is actually out there having fun and talking. 
getting to church early so I can clean stuff so, so others can have it, but why aren't others helping? We do it because we're serving God. And when we understand that, it allows us to be at peace with these other things, peace with other people, even when they're not doing the things we think they should. If your mind went to Mary and Martha, good. If it didn't, think about that. We need to be doing what's best and what God has called us to. And if you are serving, I am so grateful that you are. And, but I want you to make sure that you're doing it to honour God in the process. And if there needs to be a shift there, then that's okay. We're not going to always get it right. And sometimes we do things because we're just in that mood or, or, or something's happened in our life and we're just doing it because we've, we've got the job. But our primary motivation ought to be to honour God and to show our love for him. And I'm not saying we shouldn't encourage others. So if you are one of those that are talking and, you, you, and you're not feeling guilty, that's good, that's fine, that's not a, there's no pressure. But let's not forget to acknowledge people who are. Thank them for doing those things. You don't have to take it off them necessarily, but what I am saying is that we, we need to encourage one another all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. And we shouldn't, and I'm not saying we shouldn't give credit where credit's due because these things just happen. We do need to give credit to people and acknowledge them and be a blessing to one another because we should be a blessing to one another. But our motive in serving should not be about being praised. It shouldn't be about recognition. It shouldn't be about, shouldn't be about being popular or receiving a promotion, or any kind of a human approval. We work as if we're serving the Lord. We serve to show our love for our Heavenly Father. We lean on his presence. We walk patiently in obedience with his word. And we fix our eyes firmly on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our serving ought to be always to the glory of God. Let me finish with this. <clears throat> What does service look like from a scriptural point of view? Romans 12 lays it right out for you and I. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, Romans 12, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honouring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in with confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy for those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think that you know it all, even four-year-olds. Never pay back evil with the more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honourable. Do all that you can to live in, in harmony and peace with everyone. 
Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If, you're th- if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And just to finish off that, in Hebrews 13, 5, it says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things that you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We serve knowing that God is our audience. We serve because we love him. We serve willingly because he has changed us from the inside out. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We have victory in Christ Jesus. We are no longer heading for a Christless eternity. So all in, in view of what God has done for you, why would we not willingly be ready to do whatever he shows us to do? Not what we necessarily want to do, but he, what he wants to do. We belong to the family of God. And we're loved by him. This isn't a judgment call on anyone. I pray that today that we will recognize that whether it's in this church or another ministry somewhere else or something that we serve because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not so that we receive salvation, but it's because we are saved that we do this. We will, in the process of this, be storing up treasure in heaven because one day, one day, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And each one will receive the things done in the body, the works of service, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We are going at some point to be held accountable before God for what he called us to do. And there is a difference between what he calls us to do sometimes and what we do. It would be a shame to get before God on that day and tell him all the things that you've done, only to discover that that wasn't what he asked you to do. Listen to him. Be guided by the Holy Spirit. Trust him. He will never lead us where he does not want us to be. And he has promised that he will be with us even to the end of the age. Let me pray. Father, I pray for our church. Across our nation, I pray for our church. That we, as we enter into or we're part of a culture that is significantly changing for all sorts of reasons, that we will have the courage to stand confidently here in this world, declaring Jesus Christ as our Lord, showing it by the things that we do, 
So that, Father, there will be a day when we will be able to confidently stand before you, knowing that we have been faithful in doing the things that you've called us to do, the things that we have been prepared to do, in, that were prepared for us in advance to do. And so, Lord, I thank you that we, can put aside, that we might be able to put aside any animosity, that we might share with one another to a point where we would build broken relationships. We would serve you and honour you, show our love for you by the way that we regard and respect other people, that hatred and fear and all of those kinds of things would be separated from us as, as Christians, that we have the power in Jesus' name to declare those things null and void. Father, that we are no longer need to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but you will transform our mind. You will transform the way that we think so that we begin to think godly thoughts, so that we live godly lives. Father, the, the world is perishing. The world is fading away day by day. We are finding it more and more difficult to stand by the values of the world when in all reality, Father, we, we, we never should have stood by the values of our world. But our values of our world should have stood by yours. So I pray today for the church. And I thank you, Father, for those who willingly sacrificially give up their time, give up their resources to serve because they love you willingly. For those, whether it's a Sunday morning or it's some other time, Father, whether it's public or secret, I thank you because you are the one who needs and deserves all honour and praise. Help us to be faithful to that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.